Welcome to today's episode of the Daily Thread. So happy to all have you all here. And we have some news stories for you. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, mm-hmm. first first thing, we didn't really get to speak about this the other day because it happened after we spoke, but Donald Trump has been indicted for the second time. Right. Uh, he is okay. facing up to 410 years in prison if convicted. Now, well, you know, that's the most ridiculous way. Uh, I know that's a big part of every every way the news is delivered about that the guy is facing 100 years in prison or 200 years in prison. That's a ridiculous thing to say. You, you know, newscasters, broadcasters say that when they're talking to idiots. So you have to assume they think everybody is dopey that they're talking to when they say that a guy for having some papers uh, in his property that he may have been entitled to because he was president of the United States could potentially get uh, 400 years in prison. You know, I heard I heard Ben I heard Ben Shapiro say it the other day on his show. He said that it's pretty serious that Donald Trump could end up dying in prison if he's convicted of these charges. Yeah. And I think that he it's not something he would um, he, he he played out a scenario and he said yeah. he wouldn't put his money against it. And the scenario that Ben Shapiro played out is imagine Donald Trump is convicted, he's put in prison, but someone who's in yeah. prison can still be on the ballot and can still win the presidency. That's then imagine right. he right. imagine imagine he wins the presidency, and on the mm-hmm. first day of his presidency, he pardons himself. That's right. He could do that. Absolutely, he could do that. How how crazy! You can't write you can't write a movie plot that crazy. How crazy are, would it be? We are living. We are living in absolutely. It, it's historical, but it's also crazy times that we're living in. I got to tell you. I mean, you're always going to remember this. This is uh, the fact of the matter is you have to reduce it to what it's really about. First of all, he has two other cases pending against him, okay? Uh, the Alvin Bragg case in Manhattan for paying off uh, people that he thought had information about him that could damage his presidency, which he was indicted for. And a second case from the Attorney General, Letitia James, who's saying that in order to get money from the banks years ago, he exaggerated or inflated the amount of uh, the value of his properties. Those two cases they announced this morning are being put on hold. Those two cases are putting on hold. Now, if you had a strong now, well, I because they want the federal case, which is which they think they have they think they have a strong case. Uh, not so much about keeping the papers, but they think they have a case of obstruction of justice. Um, way before you were born, long for twenty years before you were born, there was Richard Nixon who resigned from the presidency. And you know there was a campaign. There was a break-in at the Watergate Hotel. Which I'm sure you heard about Watergate, right? And I'm sure you have no idea what it's about. Nobody around today has any idea what Watergate's just the name of a hotel in Washington D.C. where some people working on the Nixon campaign broke into. Anyway, they they didn't convict anybody of that. They didn't convict anybody of anything. Well, they did, but they they went to jail because of obstruction of justice. That means that when the FBI comes to talk to you, you either don't talk to them at all. Well, you tell them the truth. If you try to lie to uh, federal officials, to the FBI, then you have uh, uh, committed a new crime. What you really, what they came to talk to you about, forget about it. It's not important. Now, the double standard here, obviously, mm-hmm. is that um, the DOJ is going <laughs> after Donald Trump, who is the DOJ really works for President <laughs> Biden. Although they like to say that they are. Independent. They are not independent. They work for the president. The DOJ, who is working for President Biden, are trying to convict the number one 
Op, op, like uh, competition, opposition, for, competition, opposition, yeah, of, exactly. yeah exactly. in this in this upcoming election. So, I know that uh, the press secretary of the White House said that uh, Joe, Joe Biden had nothing to do with this. His hands are squeaky clean. He's not involved. That no, doesn't make much sense. This is what this is what happens in Russia. If someone if someone if someone thinks they're going to run against uh, Vladimir Putin, somehow they end up dead. You know, and they can't run. Uh, that's what happens in Russia. And that's what happens in Syria, and that's what happens in Venezuela, and that's what happens in North Korea. If you have a, even a thought that you're going to get into one of these elections where you might be able to, you know, get votes to win, which the concept doesn't exist in those countries that I named, somehow you end up dead. So um, this doesn't happen in America, hopefully. Hopefully we're not heading in that direction, but they're trying to get as close to, to, to that as possible. Anyway... Yeah, yeah, I know and, you're, and, you're invited. You're invited to an event uh, on July 10th, uh, yes. featuring Donald, Donald Trump. Uh, we're all going to be there. The Israel Heritage Foundation is uh, sponsoring an event where Donald at the Donald Trump's uh, his country club in Bedminster, New Jersey. I'm sure you looked it up already on your ways. Hope, hopefully, he, hopefully he's not coming with like uh, an ankle bracelet or handcuffs. I don't think so. That's another thing. They want to speed up the trial because they want to really do damage. They want a conviction before the election, you know, so you can, you can get up there on the stage, uh, um, even if he's not sentenced to jail time, which is unlikely. Yeah, 400 years in jail, I bet you even if he, even if he gets convicted on all 37 counts, he doesn't, spare, he doesn't serve one day in jail probably. You want to put your money on that? Because I'm pretty sure yeah. that your, your record yeah. so far is not so good when it comes to these things. You said that Ron DeSantis wasn't going to run for president, and he is running for president. Well, he's in, he's in a primary right now. We'll see if he wins the primary. Then he's something, com- else, he's- something else that I noticed is after, after Trump was arrested in the Miami courthouse, uh, Miami's <laughs> mayor, uh, Francis Suarez, um, he launched paperwork to, to launch his bid for the Republican president, presidential nomination. Uh, he then, you know, jumped in front of cameras and he he backed Donald Trump and said that he needs to be freed from prison. These these charges need to be dropped. And he started a whole truth campaign that the the truth must come out. Um, well, um, by the way, Suarez is under investigation by the FBI for fraud. So, oh, isn't that uh, some? Oh, isn't that oh, something? If you look at it with this this morning's Wall Street Journal has that story. So I guess uh, if you get into trouble. Uh, let's say running a Ponzi scheme. You see the story about the Ponzi schemes in uh, in Lakewood that's circulating online. There's like five simultaneous Ponzi schemes going on. No names, just a lot of money, just a lot of uh, money, a lot of, a lot of money going down the drain. But if those people would announce that they're running for president of the United States. Maybe the the media would be distracted and wouldn't report about the Ponzi scheme so much. Well, you know but, what? I, I, the double standard here is that the the, the 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 same DOJ said that when Hillary Clinton was running for president, that they're not going to they're not going to pursue charges because they don't want to meddle in a presidential election. That okay, there there's stuff here. There's what to look at. There's what thirty sixty thousand emails deleted, but we are not going to meddle in a presidential election. So we are not going to go ahead yeah. and try convicting her. But that that was then, and this is now, and that is not a defense. You know, I, I know you can think I'm crazy changing the subject extremely, but Brandon Nimmo last night when he tried to get back to second base, he was really safe. I he, think so his, too, by the way. His, I his think hand that was hit crazy. the bag. His hand hit the bag before he was tagged out. What? But, what good? Yeah. No. What good is? But the umpire. But the umpire said he's out. 
What's with that? What's what good is the replay in 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 Major League Baseball if they're going to replay it and still get it wrong? Because when it comes down to it, it's still it's still someone a human being's opinion of what he saw on the replay. I, I know, but let me tell you something, Abba. Me, you, all the ESPN <laughs> analysts, and probably 15,000 people in the crowd thought he was safe after seeing the replay. But two guys thought he was out, so they called him out. I, I so think what do you think? I think? You think they're working for the DOJ? You think they're corrupt also? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not making any allegations against them. But listen, the Mets pulled out a win in the Subway Series. I think the Subway Series is something that is extremely, <laughs> extremely Jewish. No? Yes, it's it something is. that yes. I think back to my, my days in Yeshiva – when the Mets would play the Yankees, it was some of the most hostile days in Yeshiva. Coming to school the next day, if you're if the Mets won, if you're a Met fan, you were on cloud nine. And if you were a, a Met fan and the Mets lost, or if you're a Yankee fan and the Yankees lost, you were trying to hide from everybody. It is, you know, it is brutal. I I found I always find that I, I've written about this in the past uh, many years ago that uh, there there's a divide in the from community between Mets fans and Yankee fans. The yeah. more the more the more Hasidic people are Yankee fans. And okay. the more my, the more modern Orthodox are Met fans, and, really? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Why? You, know, you go you, you go into Borough Park or Williamsburg, you're not going to find too many Met fans. You find a lot because, of Yankees. No, fans. I can I can answer you because I don't think in the Hasidic community they're necessarily baseball fans. But if they're going to wear a baseball hat, they're not going to wear a Mets cap. It's like they're not right. going to be a loser. They're going to wear a Yankees hat because right. Yankees are right. winners. Who's going to wear a Mets Maybe. hat voluntarily? You need to be a big fan to wear a Mets hat. If you go on the F train, you have a beard and paste, but you don't want anyone to know you're Jewish, you put on a Yankee hat. <laughs> but why? why? And, no, and no one can tell. And no one can you know, tell. Why I, is it like that? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because the history of the Hasidic community is uh, from Europe, deep, deep, roots in, deep roots in Europe, and a lot of persecution, and a lot of families were damaged, uh, were hurt, and, and lost during the Holocaust. So when they came to this country after World War II, they wanted to identify with something that smacked the, a victory. They needed a victory, and the Yankees were champions. So they became Yankee fans, so they could, at least in their spare time, if they had spare time, they could attach themselves to something of a winning and of a, a happy and a celebratory I remember, and a victorious nation. I remember you saying this hand, theory. I remember you yeah, saying this theory. I had a different theory. My theory is is sort of like this. You show me a redhead. <laughs> And that redhead is a Mets fan. I, I'm I'm yet to meet a redhead that is a Yankees fan. I've never well, met a redhead. That, well, oh, you're a redhead. Uh, what does that, what does that have to do with anything? What, what does the color you have yeah. to do with? We're talking about we're talking about stereotypes of of what type of people go for what type of team and genetics are involved. What's the connection know. between the redheads and the? Uh, well, and maybe the Mets. the Mets the Mets Mets logo is orange. Oh, oh, you know? oh orange and orange and blue. Maybe that has something okay, to do with it. As long as we're talking about baseball, I, how, come, I have another, how, come the, how come the name of the Yankee players are not on the back of their uniform? They're the only team in the major leagues don't have the names on the back of the uniform. Well, I think originally the entire American League didn't have names. But I think the, the tradition of the Yankees is that it, the name on the back is not important. It's the name on the front. You play for the name on the front, not on the name on the back. I think that was, that was the tradition. I, I, I know back – you know, if you if you go back to the 1980s when I was just born, um, I'm joking. I was not born in the 80s. Just my born, born, yeah. My born, my, bo- my father was, was born, born in the 80s. I was born in the um, 80s. Yeah, you were born in the 90s. The famous, the fame, the famous, the famous story of Mir- <laughs> Miracle on Ice uh, yeah. in in Lake Lake Placid when the Americans beat the Russians uh, in yeah. the Olympics. 
Um, yeah. There was a big there was a big divide on the team on the U.S. team, which then no NHL players were allowed to play in the Olympics. It was just college players. Right. But you right. had players from Boston, you had players from Michigan, and mm-hmm. these were the rivals. These guys hated each other, but they came together. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene, and what happened is 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 uh, the coach would ask, "Who do you play for?" And the guys would say, "My name is." Uh, uh, Patrick Williams, I play for University of Michigan. My name is John Doe, and I play for University uh, Boston University. And he would keep asking, keep asking, until one day, Mike Ruzioni, who was like the captain of this team, he said, "My name is Mike Ruzioni, and I play for the United States of America." And that's when they—that's when the players got it. You don't play for the name on the back; you play for the name on the front. So I think that's sort of the Yankee tradition. Yeah, um, I think I think I think also if you're. I think of a person. I think the tradition is if you're on the Yankees and you're a fan, you have a you have an obligation to know the name without being spelled out for you. This guy's a Yankee, but now I don't know the Yankees today anymore. I used to know the Yankees, but I, I don't know who's who anymore. I know a couple of players here and there, but I really, I mamish don't know who's who. I I used to be able to tell by the numbers. You know, Mickey Mantle was number seven, and uh, Bobby Listen, Richardson the, was number two. The, Elston yeah. Howard was number thirty-two. The but pain, I don't, I don't, I don't know the, anymore. The pain that Met fans endure uh, is is a special type of pain. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It is. Uh, yes, but there's also, but there's also there was nineteen. They were they were created in 1962, and in 1969 they came from behind, from being nine games behind at the end of August, and they won the World Series. And that's why that's why people that are more involved in celebrating things like the state of Israel, Yom Ha'atzmaut, and Yom Yerushalayim, identify with the Mets, because the Mets had a victory. They they, they grasped uh, a, a victory from the jaws of defeat. So you think uh, it's like the ch- the champions of the underdog. That's why people are, are Mets fans. They're underdog people. I think so. I, 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 definitely, I definitely think so. And uh, like I said, the Yankees uh, give people joy. And, and when they when people attach themselves, they they when people from Europe, Jews came here from Europe and they got acclimated to what's going on in America, Yankees were winners. Yankees were champions. They won champions. It was a great thing to uh, to uh, to attach yourself to. Anyway, okay, so, so I wanna I wanna jump in. I wanna jump into a conversation over here. Um, this is via Yeshiva World News. I want to jump into a conversation. Somebody wrote into their mailbag. You know, one day we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have something on the Daily Thud. We're gonna have our own type of mailbag. We're gonna have something okay. that people can leave voicemails and we'll play it. Um, I've seen it done. It's really cool. We're gonna introduce it soon. But this is something that was 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 written in, and I want to let's let's discuss this. The following letter was written by a prominent and well-known Balabas in Brooklyn. It's written mm-hmm. for Yeshiva World News following the recent debacle that hundreds of Rebbeim and Moras were informed via letter that summer vacations would be shortened and that the Yeshivas would be starting earlier than it had been for the past 60 years. The letter was mm-hmm. released by Tori Masara and signed by the Vad Rashi Yeshiva. Mm-hmm. And it starts like this. In the town of Brisk, where the great of Chaim Brisker presided as the Rav, there was an orphanage which served any child whose parents uh, couldn't provide for. Many a time, a Reb Chaim would open his front door only to find a small package wrapped in a towel or a sheet with a paper pinned to it, identifying as an abandoned Jewish child. Reb Chaim would then hire a wet nurse to feed the baby until he could join the Brisk Orphanage. Once, Reb, once while Reb Chaim was sitting and learning, one of these nurses stormed into the house, irate. It had been a full week since she was last paid, and she had, been, and she had seen enough. Reb Chaim begged her to wait a few minutes, and within 15 minutes, he returned and handed her three coins. One for the past week and the other two compensate the upcoming two weeks. Mollified, the woman picked up the baby and left. As she was walking home, she noticed Reb Chaim chasing her, trying to get her attention. 
And when Chaim caught up to her, he apologized profusely and begged her to refrain from feeding the baby for the next half hour. He explained to her that the nature is that when someone is angry, their milk becomes sour. This causes pain to the baby and leaves him unsatisfied. Reb Chaim said, I feel bad for the baby to suffer just because I was late in my payment. Hopefully in a half hour when your anger subsides, your milk will be sweet once again. This lesson has, has application for those who, are, who nourish our, our older children as well. When Talmudim are sitting in class with the Rebbe, they are drinking the sweet milk of Tara, which satiates and sustains them for life. So much care must be given that that milk remains sweet and not come from, come from a provider who feels misused or taken advantage of. Goes on to say that if the milk is sour, the Talmudim are not going to be satiated, and it's not going to be good for anybody at all. Uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I think I, I think we're give me, give me give me a second. I think where this is going. Um, I think where this is going that if you if you shorten the vacation time, the Rebbeim are not going to be happy, and therefore they're going to give sour milk to the Talmudim. Yeah, yeah. So that, so so they want to shorten some vacation. The schools want to start earlier than usual, but the, you're saying teachers, their baby, are not going to be happy with that. Well, camp yeah, camp, it, is, camp starts next week. You know that summer camp uh, starts already. I next, know. Next, next, it's pretty, next it's pretty early. It's pretty early. Crazy early. It only means one thing now. It means it's going to end very very early. The kids are not going to have what to do. So why shouldn't they? Be I know. So the is right. So, so the issue is is like, well, what does a parent do for twenty days in between between camp and school? Absolutely. Well, so this letter, this letter ends off by saying every decision revolving around the job of the Rebbe, the responsibility of the Rebbe, or the schedule of the Rebbe must be executed mindful of the greater good of the Talmudim. One of the most important variables is the taste of the milk, which the children will drink. If the milk will be sour, then no matter how much classroom time is given to the child, he may end up with a stomach indigestion. The name was withheld from this. There are a lot of comments. Um, uh, la, 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 la. It's, well, it's, it's yeah. broken down. It's broken down to uh, when when yeshiva should start at the end of August. I think know? it's it's just saying that I, I think the, the 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 entire conversation here is that maybe there shouldn't be an organization that's saying when yeshiva should start, but it should be uh, discussed with the rebbeim because the rebbeim ultimately are the ones that are going to have to. I don't, I don't know, but that's like a job. Any 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 employee is is subjected to whatever their employer says they have to do. Yeah, but listen, teachers, generally speaking, take New York, take public school teachers in New York, for example. I don't know about other parts of the country. They work eight months a year. I mean, they're off four months a year. They're off two months in the summer. They get off, you know, during the holidays, uh, New Year's, around that time. They get off spring break. Uh, um, they get off other times. And uh, they basically work between eight and nine months. So they, what what job do you know where you get uh, three months? Let's say that's 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 twelve weeks of paid vacation with all kinds of uh, benefits. I know, but you know, being a being a rabbi, being a teacher is an extremely it's, it's it's a difficult job. You know, to take care of kids all day to teach all day. So so don't do it. Get another job. Drive a, drive so, for Uber. So, so what you're saying, what you're saying is that if you're if you're Let's let's stick with the I guess the example here. If your milk is going to be sour, then maybe you shouldn't be a rebbe. Well, listen. If you're not going to do a good job, then if you're burnt out, for example, or you're tired of you're in the classroom for thirty years and they're teaching third grade or fifth grade or seventh grade, and you just you're just not excited about it anymore. So, you know, it, it might be uh, time to move on. There's younger generation of people coming out of yeshivas that would. Uh, that would jump at the opportunity to be a rebbe in yeshiva. I know, but we, and, we and, share, to... and, and share enthusiasm we... with young kids. 
we still have to show appreciation for the rebellion that's that have been in the industry for for 30 40 years but i do hear you yeah. that if they are if they are tired if they are fed up if they it's sort of what sabor grudko is saying about shatkhan and like if if you don't have time to get on the phone with me because you're so busy then maybe don't do it like how was the have, uh how was the response to that uh, program no week? it was great it was great and it's worth it's worth mentioning that uh, this week's uh, this weekend's episode of Meaningful People uh, coincides with the art site tonight of Rabbi, of Rabbi, Rabbi David Shrink Zatzal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was in his I was in his his house yesterday, and I, I interviewed his Rabbi Sinabitz and Leah Trank, and we spoke for an hour and a half about the legacy, the life that Rabbi Trank lived. And this is like perfectly what we're talking about. Rabbi Trank never had you know the, the sour milk. Anything he yeah. gave to his Talmidim was one hundred percent joy, happiness. Um, that's, that's what he had inside and that's what he gave. And if he didn't have it, he wouldn't give it. Um, but he, he was, uh, one of a kind, very something, he was very some, unique, yeah. something we touched upon is that, you know, the, the, the covet and the, uh, appreciation that my train gets nowadays did not exist when he was in, when he was in the trenches, when he was still a Rebbe, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting to note. I think that we have to always be, be mindful, maybe in closer Rabbi Trink. That the people, the heroes around you, to be machsh of them while they're alive and be machsh of them while they're here. He had to jump through hoops and he fought and he was a champion for the underdog. He fought for the kids that were kicked out of yeshivas. There was a Toyo Masora convention we mentioned in this episode that uh, someone got up and, and asked a question about when could we kick a kid out of yeshiva. And he got up and he wasn't part of any panels. He wasn't part of yeah. any of these yeah. panels. And he yeah. got up and he started yelling on top of his lungs. He said, we're asking, when are we kicking kids out of yeshiva? Why are we asking a question like this? We need to be asking, when are we going to bring kids into yeshiva? Stop asking about when we're going to kick kids out of yeshiva. And the answer that Ravelia Svei gave on the, on the dais, he said, we don't, we don't argue with Rabbi David Trank. You know that was yeah. that was the that was the answer he gave, and there's there's stories there's stories of Rabbi Trank that um, by a good conventions or a Torah Masora conventions they would say, oh um, Talmidim of Rabbi Elephant meet in the dining room, Talmidim of Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky you could meet in the lobby, Talmidim of Rabbi Svei you meet in the in the in the back lobby, and Rabbi Trank would get up on the table and he'd say Talmidim of Rabbi Trank we meet in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's that was. That was his thing. That's yeah. who he was. And, and this weekend we have an episode all about Rabbi David Trank on his fourth yard site. So wow. people could tune into Four that. Wow. Yes. Yes. And, and so how, is the, is, uh, how, how is the reaction to, uh, to uh, Tzipora Gretko's uh, podcast? I mean, you must have uh, came yeah. across very impressive, very articulate, very impressive, very interesting. Um, she must be getting a lot of shit offers uh, through your offices. I didn't. I didn't ask. Uh, it could be I, that wasn't the you know that wasn't the purpose of the interview. I think the purpose of the interview is to bring sensitivity to the issue. And yeah, but it, I could think be, she, it could be a byproduct. It could be a byproduct uh, of the definitely. focus of it. Listen, it'd be very nice if that if that's the case. It'd be very nice if that's the case. But I think that it's an important conversation. One which we didn't finish the conversation. We just started the conversation. It needs to continue to be had um, about uh, about about being sensitive to people. Uh, about right. seeing people for who they are and not, you know, what their their status is if they're single, mm-hmm. married. Um, and if you didn't listen to that episode yet, you can still listen to it. It's up on YouTube. It's on Apple, Spotify, along with this Great. episode of Daily Thread. So make sure to tune in next week to a new episode of Daily Thread. Make sure to hit the link in the description in the show notes of this episode and subscribe to the Daily Thread on WhatsApp status.